Guess which one of our famous presidents said these words, quote, If I were to read, much less answer, all the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed for any other business. I do the very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep doing so until the end. If the end brings me out all right, what is said against me won't amount to anything. If the end brings me out wrong, 10,000 angels swearing I was right would make no difference. End of quote. Abraham Lincoln. This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. Thank you for tuning in today. This is a show for anyone who wants to excel at leading others. I promise to give you practical leadership tips you can use this week. Welcome to this episode titled, Do You Need Thick Skin to Be a Great Leader? What an awesome question. It's one of those questions that uh, has been thrown around for centuries, kind of like that question, are leaders born or are they made? But I want to get to that question today. Do, do you need a thick skin to be a really effective leader? But first, I want to apologize for some technical issues I've had on my website. I really don't know how long it goes back, but I realized my forms were not working on my website. So that com backslash engage form wasn't working. As far as I know, most of those contact forms were not working. Thank you for one of my listeners that alerted me to that and went up to the Contact Me tab. And, and No, actually, they got my email address from somebody else. So it's all fixed now. And I'm afraid some of you filled out com backslash engage and you never heard from me. If you haven't heard from me, it's because I never got it. So please go in there and do it again, and I'll give you your free audio book uh, code, either Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make or uh, The Power of Passion in Leadership. I'm going to extend that offer for a while because of my technical problems, and uh, please forgive me for that. What I'm looking for on that Engage page is for you to tell me what you think about my upcoming episode, which is going to be, I'm going to do a series of eight podcasts on Learn to Lead, Eight Skills Every New Leader Must Master. I've already gotten some answers. I'm going to give you one right now. But what do you think? What should be on that list? Write me at hansfinzel.com backslash engage, or you can also leave me a message on my Google Voice account. Just click on the Call Me button. Thanks to Joe, who recently responded, and he got a copy of one of my audiobooks, uh, complimentary, and he said, uh, like many of you, he said, Hans, I just really love to listen to audiobooks much more than read books. So, Joe, I'm glad I was able to share that with you, and I'm not going to give everybody your last name, but here's what you said. In answer to the question, conscientiousness is the skill every budding leader must master before being able to lead effectively. The ability to know oneself, as well as what others are perceiving about us, is paramount to understanding if and when to move forward with a proposed plan, or how to go about engaging with the varying personalities that compose a team. Love that, Joe. I don't know if it'll make the cut for the top eight, but it's an awesome, uh, awesome contribution. I think it's a little bit about emotional intelligence. EQ and blind spots and really knowing yourself. Thank you so much, Joe, for that contribution. Today, let's get on to this topic of do I need thick skin to be a great leader? What happens when people criticize you, attack you, 
resist you, ignore you, give you the old passive-aggressive treatment, bombard you with negativity. You know, some of our critics just remain silent, but some of them are very aggressive in how they bombard us. So do we need a thick skin? You know, uh, Spencer Johnson, who wrote the book, Who Moved My Cheese, said it in short, a change imposed is a change opposed. And many times when we're leading changes, people oppose us. Some of them are very quiet, but some of them are very verbal in all different kinds of way. So you need to get ready for opposition. And I'm going to deal and I'm going to answer that question, do you need thick skin? This is all about opposition. This is about being attacked. People are resisting your leadership. Develop coping skills for handling attacks as you push forward with changes. Some people will not sit on the sidelines quietly, but will dish out hostility to your plans and actions. Instead of developing a thick skin, learn to use those attacks for the advance of the cause. I'm going to read this Abraham Lincoln quote, uh, which I mentioned at the beginning of the show, but I love what he said. If I were to read, much less answer all the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed for any other business. I do the very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep doing so until the end. If the end brings me out all right, what is said against me won't amount to anything. If the end brings me out wrong, 10,000 angels swearing I was right would make no difference, President Abraham Lincoln. So here's a question. Did he have thick skin or didn't he? I think he did not have thick skin. And as you see, as I go along in the podcast today, I'm going to tell you that, no, I don't really think having thick skin is the answer. What does that mean? Well, I think that means to be impervious to criticism, to just let it bounces off of you like a, I'm going to talk in a moment about submarines that get bombarded with depth charges. And sometimes that's what criticism feels like. Did he have a thick skin? Well, we know he didn't. Did you see the movie, Abraham, the, the movie Lincoln that came out a number of years ago, or you read the book, or you just know about him? He was a man who was often depressed, and, and he took criticism very seriously, but he did not alter his course because of the criticism, and he didn't waste all of his time answering the critics. Did Abraham Lincoln have a thick skin? I don't think so. During World War II, the Germans waged serious warfare with one of their most potent weapons, their sleek black underwater vessels of destruction that were called the U-boats, U-boats, and U, U, stands for Untavasa, underwater, a typical little, a typical literal German functional description. U-boats, Untavasa boats. These boats wreaked havoc in the Atlantic as the Allied forces attempted to close in. There was a great war movie I saw a number of years ago. It's quite old now. It's called Das Boot. You ever seen it? Wow, it's amazing. It illustrates the incredible stress of life underwater for weeks on end in one of those German submarines. When the Allied forces detected one of those underwater warriors, they began to pummel the boats with depth charges. For days on end, the German sailors would be shaken up like gravel in a cement mixer, being pounded with explosives, rolling from side to side, mortal danger surrounding them on literally all sides. It's hard to imagine that they lived through that kind of beating. 
but many of them did live to tell about it. Ironically, it was just a few years after the war that an American engineer was working to develop naval instruments that retain their stability during such turbulence when he accidentally knocked over a coiled spring and it started to walk down the table. And well, guess what? That was the invention of the slinky. And uh, a lot of the thoughts in this podcast are from my book, Changes Like a Slinky, because slinkies are noisy and they never go where you think they're going to go. And they are very unpredictable and they're fun. And I like to say change can be fun. There are times during major change initiatives when criticism can get that intense and remaining stable is nearly impossible. Beware because resistance will come and it will hurt. If you had bold plans to shake things up, you'd better strap on that army surplus flak jacket right away. It's been said that leaders need to have thick skin, but that's easier said than done. And actually, as I'll explain in just a moment, I don't even think it's a desirable goal. I have been criticized so often in my leadership. Criticism cuts deep and hurts terribly. If you were to ask me, Hans, do you think you have a thick skin? <laughs> or ask Donna, she would say, absolutely not. Every criticism, every attack I've ever received, I've taken very personally. It hurt way below my skin, down into my deep, deep soul. You know that cute little saying that we learned when we were kids on the playground? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, you know, that's a bald-faced lie. There is nothing further from the truth. When we're pounded by missiles and depth charges of friends or enemies, it has a devastating effect on our emotions. It can bring our work to a screeching halt as we write out the barrages of the criticism. Old Abe was probably right to ignore the criticism and just do what he could do best. Of all the criticisms I've received in my years of leadership and in ministry in the nonprofit world, the things that hurt me the most were the, from the people closest to me. The wounds of close colleagues and friends hurt so much more than the wounds of strangers. Before we continue with the podcast, let me just tell you about a new feature after two years that'll be on Leadership Answer Man. It's called Hans on the Spot, and it's coming soon. I'd love for you to call in a leadership question, and I'll answer it for you on the future show. You can just click the Call Me button on my website, or you can call my Google number at 720-440-2981. And either way, you'll be leaving me a message and give me that question, put Hans on the spot, and I'll do my best to answer you. Also, I want to let you know you can still get one of my free audiobooks, either The Power of Passion and Leadership or The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make. You just have to go and to hansfinzel.com slash engage and fill out that form, and I will send you your free audiobook code. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, let's talk about some coping mechanisms. Uh, how people react to this kind of attack. People rely on five coping mechanisms when resisting change. 
Uh, the five coping mechanisms of any transition are these right here. Number one, hold out. Number two, keep out. Number three, move out. Number four, close out. Number five, reach out. Okay, I'm going to explain those. Hold out. Some people hold out, hoping that the past will return. Some people keep out. They just hunker down in their own bunker, and they become very passive-aggressive. Some people move out. They actually leave and go somewhere else. Some people close out. That means they toss in the towel and they admit defeat. And some people reach out. And I like that. They actually change with the direction uh, toward where you're trying to lead them. So how do you as a change agent respond to these attacks? In his book, Postmodern Pilgrims, Leonard Sweet wrote of a recent poll which found an astonishing 49% of business executives taking the most radical position they could about the future, that we are living in revolutionary times and at the dawn of an entirely new economic era requiring a fundamental reinvention of how we live, work, and play. And I could not agree more. The name of the book is Postmodern Pilgrims by Leonard Sweet. Perhaps there's one more reaction that Sweet missed. Did you notice that there was nothing in my list of five about attacks? Well, the sixth thing is what I would call dish out, as in dish out opposition and open hostility. There is a certain amount of people, a small group of people, the uh, vocal uh, minority, who will dish out opposition. Dramatic times of change require dramatic choices, which will likely provoke dramatic reactions. If people in the organization think you're fundamentally changing the values of the organization in a bad direction, they'll oppose you most openly. I've had a number of people tell me, well, this is not the organization that I signed up for. Or you've ever heard a pastor being resisted by the congregation? Well, this is not the church that I joined 40 years ago. <laughs> what are they driving at? Well, it's simple. They feel that the changes that I'm making are eroding what they perceive to be the organization's bedrock values that are dearest to them. I'm messing with their culture and you're messing with their culture. Let me talk now about protecting your own skin. How do you survive the rough and tumble of change warfare? Is it by developing a thick skin? Do you really need a thick skin? No. My answer, emphatically, no. In fact, developing a coarse emotional hide is the worst thing you can do. Making yourself impervious to pain means shutting yourself off from most of the nuances and intricacies of of life and business. I've seen leaders become thick-hided and insulated before, and it only led to their demise. Before long, they became so well insulated that they could not hear the whispers of common sense, interpersonal resentments, or even approaching trouble. For a leader whose greatest responsibility is to sense how the proverbial wind is blowing, that's the kiss of death. A leader cannot wrap themselves with insulation from what people are saying or doing about their leadership. Rather than a thick skin or a thick hide, the thing to develop is a resilient one, one that can absorb the blow, not deflect it. I have these little Nerf footballs that I play with my grandkids, and I also have this little 
very soft little baseball and a soft baseball bat. And uh, my oldest grandson, Asher, and I, we play baseball with it because nobody's going to get hurt. He's seven years old. If he gets pounded in the head with this soft little thing, it's so resilient. It's not going to hurt anybody. Even the bat is squishy like that. So it's not going to hurt anybody. That's resilience. Instead of trying to develop ways of never feeling the attack, work on ways of processing it more painlessly and efficiently and learn from it. So here's uh, four tips on how to deal with this kind of attack. First, identify a core group of allies. This is what Cotter always talks about, your guiding coalition. These are the first people you come to with your radical idea, and they're not only going to get it, but they're going to ask how they can help. They're the ones willing to endure with you the endless bombardments. Call them allies, just like in World War II, there were the allies. Second, try to visualize the attacker's world. What's going on in their world that leads them to this kind of response? Why do they feel threatened by what you're trying to do? How does the relative viciousness of the attack reflect on your foe? Ask yourself, how would I feel if I saw things the way they do? You know what you could do? You could actually ask them, what is under the surface? What is this under the iceberg, under the waterline thing that is creating such emotion in you? What's the story behind the story? You've got to understand your attacker. Third, let the criticism make you better. If a particular attack has left you stung, don't react defensively to its message. Instead, absorb the blow by going back to see if it has any merit. You'll never gain anything by denying legitimate criticism. You know, most of us, when we're attacked, we get defensive, and we want to make excuses, and we want to justify ourselves. But instead, use criticism as a tool to actually improve your leadership and your proposals and your plan and what you're trying to do. You'll probably have a better plan, and you'll disarm your opponent. Fourth, reshape your self-image. This is, again, about emotional intelligence. Enduring an attack in your role as an organizational leader hurts the most when your job determines how you see yourself. Go back to bedrock. And remind yourself who you are, your parents' offspring, a person loved by God, possibly a father, a mother, a husband, or wife. Aren't those things more important and significant than the job you hold? What is your self-image really based on? As I've said so many times, if you're a people pleaser, you're in for a rough ride, especially in leadership. Leadership is not a popularity contest. And I think that quote from Abraham Lincoln tells me he was extremely comfortable in his uh, skin. A solid grounding in who you are is the best flak jacket you could ever don through difficult times. And let me just say, I have often found that there's 5 or 10% of criticism that's probably accurate. And instead of focusing on the 90% that they are wrong, focus on the 10% where you can learn and become a better person. Well, what's the point here? Get ready for opposition and develop coping skills as you push forward in leadership, especially to change things. Some people won't sit on the sidelines quietly, but will dish out hostility to your plans and actions. What are you going to do about it? Don't shut them down. Don't reject their words out of hand. 
Let them make you a better person. Embrace their doubt. Embrace their criticism. Now, like Abraham Lincoln, don't spend all your time with the critics, but you do need to filter through what they're saying and don't shut them down because hopefully you're going to turn most of them around and you're going to need their help. Okay, here's some final action steps that I think will really help you if you're attacked, as opposed to just trying to callously develop a thick skin like a rhinoceros or an elephant. Instead, here's a couple of tips that I think will help you. First of all, identify some of your anchors and values that are going to carry you through the tough times of leadership, knowing what you stand for. Again, Abraham Lincoln knew exactly what his convictions were and what he stood for. And he weathered criticism because of those anchors of those values. That as far as he was concerned, uh, he wasn't going to compromise. Identify and nurture uh, your leadership team, your your group of people who are, are really your your critical mass that are going to help lead you forward. You know, you've got to have other people. You've got to have a guiding coalition. You've got to have a group. You can't do this all by yourself. You know, I love the story of Moses and how he tried to be a leader all by himself. And he was a control freak and he was a workaholic. And, and you know, his father-in-law Jethro came to him and said, you know, what you're doing is not good. Develop a team, share the load. And this really applies to criticism. And boy, can we learn a lot from the attacks that Moses suffered. But what you need to do is have a small group of people that you can circle the wagons together and lead together. Develop relationships with a few key individuals, both inside and outside of your organization or industry, who can be objective and can provide wise counsel for you, and really a shoulder to cry on. I've always done this, and in fact, I think it's best to have some trusted friends outside of where you work, so that you can share everything with them, and they don't have a dog in the fight, and and you can be completely transparent with them. And don't just make it your spouse. You know, some things we should not dump on our spouse, but on a trusted friend. Remember the pain of another's words often comes from an ounce of truth buried in the criticism. What can you learn about the criticizer and their perspective that's positive? What can you learn about yourself? How can you change the processes and and improve what you're doing? I remember a painful message I got from a colleague. This was a number of years ago. It hurt so much. But, you know, finally I realized that there was a refining fire going on, and actually God used that critical message to show me some of my arrogance. I was uh, quite a bit younger in my leadership, and I just thought I was uh, God's gift of the world, and, and I had so many things going and gifts and abilities, and sometimes the more gifted you are and the more abilities you have, the more you can just get filled with yourself. And in the end, The thing that that criticism did for me, it showed me how I was being perceived, not just by this one person, but by a number of people. It really, really helped me change and not be so enamored with my own leadership abilities. Goes back to that thing about humility. What made Moses such a great leader? There was no more humble man on the face of the earth. Well, I've just given you some ideas. It's always good to journal about these things. So let me ask you one more time. Do you really need a thick skin to be a great leader? My answer is no. 
In fact, developing a coarse emotional hide is the worst thing you can possibly do. You don't want to be like a rhinoceros. You don't want to be like an elephant. Making yourself impervious to pain means shutting yourself off from most of the nuances and intricacies of life and business and people. You can't isolate yourself. You have to listen. I've seen leaders become thick-hided and insulated before, and it only led to their demise. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. See you next time on the Leadership Answer Man. This has been Hans Stenzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership.